Based upon her compelling live performances and the success of her debut EP, Gypsy Soul, Abby Brown was signed to the Pure Music Nashville label. Abby began performing live at the age of seven and has sung the national anthem for Major League Baseball games at Fenway Park in Boston and Coors Field in Denver. She began piano at six and guitar at 10 years old, and driven to be a singer-songwriter, she studied at the College of Music and Performing Arts at Belmont University in Nashville. Abby sits down with Backstory Song to share her story and some of her new musical releases. Back to Backstory Song. I'm Doug Burke, your host, and we're here with Abby Brown, songwriter who's got two EPs out uh, on your label. What's your label, Abby? Um, it's Pure Music Nashville. And thank you, Doug, for having me. <laughs> and the title of your two EPs are? Heart on Fire is the latest EP I released in October of 2019. The year before that, I released Gypsy Soul. That was my, my very first and I noticed on Spotify, Gypsy Soul is your most popular song. And so why don't we start by talking about that song? Cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this song, so on my label, it's co-owned by Luke Bola. He's also an artist on the label. He is a super crazy talented fiddle player. He actually released a solo album on the label and he's just been performing in, in, in the biz his whole life. So it was really cool to collaborate with him. 
But what actually happened was it was January of 2018. So I had just signed with the label and um, they flew me out to Nashville. And of course, I got sick right before I went there, which always seems to happen. But the purpose of the trip was to try and co-write with Luke. And he actually had just gotten over the flu. So neither of us honestly could sing. I lost my voice and he didn't have a voice. He was just starting to recover. So it was kind of a funny, interesting uh, co-writing session. It wasn't what we were anticipating or expecting, but I went there with just this idea in my head of Gypsy Soul. I didn't really know where I wanted to take it. I thought Gypsy Soul, like that is a cool song title. It's even a cool EP title. I, I was just drawn to that. And I'm a yogi and I love traveling and all that kind of stuff. So that resonated with me. I know there's another gypsy connotation, but the gypsy soul that I <laughs> I imagined was like the free spirit, the not being afraid to take chances and, and move forward. And Luke pulled out his guitar and just played the most beautiful melody on, on his guitar and dadgad tuning. And I just sat there. I was like, okay, I can already feel it. Like this is going to be a cool song. And we wrote a few lines, really not much, but we had a few lines that we could barely sing on a voice memo. And I was living in Seattle at the time. And so, <laughs> so it was definitely hard to co-write, but I went back home and uh, we just passed voice memos back and forth and notes. And there was one version I loved and I was like, oh yeah, like this is so cool. And he sent back, he's like, yeah, but he just like totally picked it apart. And I'm so glad he did because <laughs> that's part of the process. You kind of start to fall in love with the different versions of your songs. But I think when you get to the point of like, you know, like this is it, that's kind of what happened. And it took a while. It took a few months. But once it was done, both of us and my label, like we all felt really excited about the song. And it wasn't until it was finished that I realized that the song was about my mom. And I love my mom. We're super, super close. <laughs> and she's always been there for me. And I just think of her as my best friend. And it was cool to realize after the fact, but kind of in the back of my mind the whole time, I was like, this song is about the woman that I hope to be one day, because it's still not easy to let things go and to move on and, and not hold anger or, or hurt inside your heart. And my mom, obviously, we're human, like it's, it's hard to move forward past everything, but she's done such a beautiful job and such an inspiration to me. So the line, like a wildflower grows, gypsy soul, and I've moved around a lot. So that kind of tied into it as well. And it doesn't really matter where you are, if you can ground yourself in the situations that you're given. I think it just makes you a more wholesome and better person, a more adaptable person. So that's kind of where it all came back around to be. Wow. I thought it was autobiographical, but it's even better that it's about <laughs> your mom. It's a love poem to your mom. That's a beautiful thing. She's is She is a gypsy soul, your mother? Yeah. I mean, not in like the true sense of like, I wouldn't call her like a gypsy or whatever, but um, she's been able to totally just transform her life and be open to change. And it's inspiring. She inspires so many people around her and she's just able to let go and have an open heart. And I think that to me says a lot. I really like the chorus with an honest heart held strong. You usually think of a head held strong and high, but you've got a heart being held. Thank you. Sometimes I don't really know where I get stuff from, but <laughs> yeah, that line, I, I guess it like having an honest heart, if you can lead with an honest heart in your life, I think that's really, really powerful. And I'm learning that right now. I'm going through a lot of life lessons and 
that's one thing that has really stood out to me is just having an honest heart. I routinely ask about oo-oo's, ah-ah's, woo-woo's in songs with songwriters and the first verse with oo-oo line. And I was also like, how does that come to you? Does it like, you're writing the song, you're just like, you run out of words? Or you just Or just like, what happened there in that song? I think that was Luke's idea. Like he, or maybe it was when we were, I don't know about you with your songwriting, but a lot of times I won't think of words first. I'll just kind of hum a melody and put words to it. And I want to say that that was just like, when we were brainstorming and we just kept it in because we're like, oh, it's kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Thank you. The guitar break or the guitar interlude after the chorus is really cool. Who did that? How did that go down? How did that get recorded? J.D. Simo. He is a really phenomenal Nashville guitarist, um, blues and rock. And I had never met him before. I went into the studio. We had three days. And so all the musicians kind of came in whenever we needed them. But JD was there first with the drummer, bassist. I think that was actually it. It was a pretty small group, but he just cranked it out. Like it was so cool to watch. It was the first time that I was truly in like a a Nashville studio and around these crazy talented musicians. And I was wide eyed. I was like, oh my God, he just pulled that out of (laughs) who knows where. And like, it sounds amazing. (laughs) It's really cool. It's some sort of fuzz sound or something. It's, it reminded me of like David Lindley of Jackson Brown. I don't know if you feel Jackson Brown inspired on this song. or. I mean, not specifically, but his setup, like we kind of just let him run with it. We're like, JD, like, what are you feeling? And when he played that, we're like, you know, that's really cool. And probably just a little distortion is what you're hearing. or I don't know, but it was very cool to watch. That's for sure. <laughs> And what recording studio were you in? I mean, this must have been real memorable for you, your first independent label recording studio experience. Where was it? The first one to record Gypsy Soul, that EP, it was at White Rock Studios, just outside of Nashville. It was actually a home studio of this phenomenal bass player. It's his studio, and he kind of was like the creative director, per se, David Santos, It's cool. Everyone kind of like did a lot of multiple things on the EP. So David Santos was the creative director and played bass on one of my songs. Um, My executive producer, label owner, John Heithouse, he played the bass, but he was also the producer. And and then the engineer was also the drummer, Pete Young. So it was it was cool. And just to see everyone has so much talent and um, we were all just sitting there listening to everything. And I was so impressed and honestly surprised that sounded so good. It just makes you realize like you don't need to go to Music Row, although we did the second EP, but the sound that comes out of White Rock Studios, it was just phenomenal. And I was so impressed. So the first time you played this for your mother, what did you tell her was about her? I think I told her after it was recorded and I wrote it in the my note to whoever buys my my physical CD. But yeah, she cried. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make her cry with your songs a lot? or It depends. I feel like I make myself cry probably more than I make her cry. I'd say it's like 30% of the time, depending on, on her mood. <laughs> the third final verse, she's patient like her mother. I guess that's your grandmother? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, she's still alive, and um, she's just a bubbly, wonderful woman. But she's been through a lot, and it's really cool to see someone who is patient and loving still after 
going through life. Like she's 86, I think, or 85. So being patient, like that is something that I'm still not patient. And I feel like it's a learned thing. Like the older you get, the wiser you get, but the more patient too. So not always, but let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have female backers on this. Yeah. So Wendy Moten, she is unreal. I seriously am just blown away by her. She's also a solo musician, but she's toured with Faith Hill and Vince Gill and just insane vocals. And I actually, I didn't get to meet her in person, unfortunately, but she was out of town on tour somewhere. And so she came back and John sent her a few of the songs she did. Um, I did a cover of Homeward Bound as well on that EP. So she did some awesome harmonies on that. And then I did some harmonies on Gypsy Soul, but having her vocals in the background, just like the difference between the two is like, wow. <laughs> but yeah, Wendy Moten, check her out. Like she's, she's the real deal. Yeah. It's really nice the way the combination of female voices come together on that. You can understand why it's your most listened to <laughs> song on Spotify. The second most listened to song on Spotify is Every Day of My Life which is just a beautiful love song. Thank you. I love the simple little things Like when you make us dinner for two And you light a couple There you try to set the mood And I love the way you say good morning With your sleepy little smile My hair's a mess and I don't want to get dressed Let's just lay here for a while I think people underestimate how hard it is to write a love song. Tell me about this. Oh my God, it's so hard. I feel like that's like a happy love song. That's the correction. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to write breakup songs, right? Breakup love songs or cheating love songs or sad love songs. Those are easy, huh? Oh, it's so easy to write breakup songs and sad songs. It's the happy ones for some reason. I really couldn't tell you. Maybe I'm just a cynical person. I don't know, but I feel like I'm an optimistic person. It's just, it's, for me, songwriting is really heartfelt. Sure, like any songwriter, I try and think, like, oh, could this be on the radio? And I get that in my head. And of course, I embellish things like any songwriter, but like it starts first, like from the heart, and it's a feeling. And I just go from there. And so I was dating the same guy from college. We met freshman year at Belmont University in Nashville. And we clicked and we spent seven and a half years together, which is a long time. We grew a lot. But I wrote that song, gosh, 
it must have been four years ago now. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I would never play it. That's kind of my test. It's like, if I feel confident enough to play it out and I feel like the crowd is vibing with it, then I'm like, okay, that's pretty much done. It's there. But I never really like, I never wanted to play the song. And it's because I didn't love the melody of it. And so last summer, like literally two weeks before I was going to record my second EP, I was still trying to figure out what songs to do. And I sat down with this one and I was like, okay, I'm feeling this. Let's just get this totally like, it needs a facelift. Like I like the message. I like a lot of the lyrics, but the melody needs to be totally different. And so I changed it up completely and then I fell in love with it. And it was cool to see that transform. It's the happiest love song I've ever written. And I was grateful to feel that love and, and experience that, especially at such a young age. So that's interesting. So you had broken up with this young man? Well, we were still together last year. <laughs> yeah, this is super fresh. Oh, okay. So at the time, you're still in love with the guy. I really like the call and response of the chorus. Thanks. That was a new addition. That was something that when I was messing around, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, let's just do a little call. And it worked. It's fun. It, it makes you want to dance and, and just kind of be free. And, and I think that's what it feels like to truly be in love and to feel that for someone else as you just, you feel free. <laughs> How does the audience react when you play this? Do they dance with it? Yeah. I mean, I've only been able to play this with a full band a few times. So usually it's just like me and an electric guitar, my acoustic guitar, and they, they sway. Um, my music's definitely more mellow. It's not like the kind of music that you're going to go dance to, but I like to see people moving in their seats. <laughs> but I can imagine a song like this that couples in the audience might start holding hands or yeah, looking at each other. I would hope so. I would hope so. That's the goal. I guess you haven't played it enough to see that, but I bet you do. I truly mean this. I think it's really hard to write a love song. Like you say, a beautiful, happy love song. And it just seems so easy. And it's just, I challenge the audience to try to write one. And I think the challenge is writing a non-cheesy love song. Like the happy love songs, like you have to kind of toe this line of cheesy, unrealistic or realistic. And like, maybe it's a little sad or I don't know, is it even real? <laughs> it's hard not to sound like a cliche or corny. You know, it, it's hard to be original and to say, I love you in an original way. And I think you did it here. I'll keep loving you with the space and then every day of my life at the end of the chorus, you know. Thank you. I still think it's a little cheesy at some parts. I'm like, oh, what? Like, should I have changed that? But at the same time, it's like, you know, all happy love songs are going to have a little bit of cheesiness. But I think the overall message is relatable and real and raw and vulnerable. And I think that's what it takes to have a solid, happy love song. I like how you introduced, was it a Hammond organ? Yes. <laughs> It's subtle and then it grows in the song. Yeah. So brother Paul Brown, he comes in with his keys and his synth pad and all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, okay, that's cool. We had a, a Hammond B3 organ. I was a little skeptical because I'm 26 years old. And like to me, the organ, I'm like, oh, that's kind of like older sounding, like kind of older country. I'm trying to be more modern. And then John, he was like, no, I, I promise you, this is in almost every single song. It adds a lot of character and just like underneath it kind of builds everything. And I was like, okay. He just is 
such a free spirit, which was very cool to see. And he was just grooving. And I truly was skeptical. Both EPs, I was like, oh, like the organ, like I don't want it to overpower anything, but the song would feel naked without it. Like it's crazy how much it adds depth to a song when you add that in the background. It's not overwhelming and it kind of builds. It comes in soft and then it increases. And I really love at the end of the bridge, you chuckle. Why? Because <laughs> I'm always laughing. And I actually I laughed when I was recording and I'm trying to remember the ex- like why I was laughing. I think I was just feeling awkward. I messed up something. And uh, Preston, the engineer, we were at um, Zach Brown, their studio, Southern Ground. And so Preston, he's the engineer there in one of the studios. And I didn't know him well, but he knew that that was kind of me. I giggle and I laugh and it's a lighthearted song. And at first I was like, oh, I don't think I want that in there. That sounds weird, but it adds character. And I think, I don't know, it's it's nice to kind of like have that break in the song. But yeah. <laughs> That's really, it's cute. Thank you. It belongs in a love song. And so it's really good. So you talked about how you knew this song was done. And that's a question I've asked other songwriters is like, when do you know that a song is done? Hmm. Sometimes uh, I'm sure, you know, you'll just sit down and write a whole song in one sitting, even maybe it's an hour. You're like, wow, I just wrote that whole thing. And I feel like it's done. And there are times where I, I feel like, okay, I wrote that song. It's done. Especially my sister and I, we started writing together when I was like 11. And so she was eight or nine, something like that. The two of us, like there were moments where we would just sit down and write a song, of course, a breakup song in high school and stuff. And, and we were like, oh yeah, like this is done. Cool. And then we'd go out and play it. But now I think I haven't been writing as much with other people. So I think that is harder. Like when you can't validate it with another songwriter, that you're working on it with. It's harder to know when it's done in a strange way, but I don't know. I feel like when I feel confident in it, that's when it's done. And there's always going to be something you want to change. And that's kind of like, you can't be a perfectionist. So especially in this kind of stuff, like it's a song and it's imperfect in the most perfect way. It's always going to be. So when did you start songwriting and why did you start songwriting? You You and your sister were eight and 11 years old. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, something like that. Maybe even 10. I started playing guitar at 10. I have two younger sisters and a twin brother. He always gets left out, but he didn't get the music gene. He got the business gene. (laughs) That's what I like to say. But my two younger sisters and I, we first started singing when I was, I mean, I've been singing my whole life and I'm actually severely deaf in one of my ears. So I got that tested when I was younger. My mom was like, wow, but she sings and like, For her, and she kind of like also talked with me about that. This is a gift. Like a lot of people who have hearing loss can't sing, like they can't hear that. And so I always knew I I had a hearing aid when I was six. And so, like, I, I knew I had hearing loss, but like it didn't affect my music. I felt it. So that stuck with me. And I think that kind of inspired me to pick up the guitar because I was playing piano and I was, eh, it was fine. I was playing classical music that I didn't love. I was 10. (laughs) So finally, my mom was like, okay, when you turn, I think it was 10 or 11, then you can play the guitar. And so right before that, we were at my two sisters and I, well, first I was asked to sing at this fundraiser, this little league fundraiser in Boston. My two sisters who were both younger, they got really jealous because they asked me to sing the national anthem there. 
And my mom was like, okay, well, I can teach you how to sing harmonies and stuff. And if you guys learn them, you can all sing together. And so we did. And we also sang another song, a Dixie Chick song. That was the start of it. We we pretended to play our instruments and we sang to a karaoke track of Landslide, uh, which is forever going to be one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> it's truly just such a beautiful song. and It really is. Yeah. And it makes me cry all, all the time when I'm sentimental and playing. I'm like, oh, I'm growing up so fast. It's sad. <laughs> but those are the greatest songs in my opinion. But from there, I know that was a long-winded answer, but that kind of propelled us into wanting to, one, play in public, which we loved, and learn instruments. And then from there, we just started writing. I'm a creative person. Um, both my sisters are. But my middle sister, Sarah, and I, like we really started writing. Just Our first song, I think, was called Down by the Seashore. And we laugh at it now, but it, was, it wasn't bad for being 10, 8, or 11, 9, whatever age you were. But I just remember feeling so excited and exhilarated, like when we created something. And I think from a young age, like I didn't fully understand like what that totally meant, but it was such a high, like it was a rush and I couldn't explain it. And and now as a songwriter and a performer, like I, I totally understand why we got like so excited and so into songwriting. Interesting. I think a lot of songwriters try to do covers and realize that's hard. And like, if they just do their own thing, <laughs> it doesn't have to sound like anything else. It just has to sound like what they want it to sound like. It sounds like them. Yeah. I've never actually heard anyone say that, but that makes total sense. I love doing both. <laughs> you like doing both? You like doing covers? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like making them my own. Oh, okay. Or blending versions like Landslide, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, and the Dixie Chicks. Like, I feel like my version is totally a blend between the two because... I have influences from both, so. Hold my head up and say I'm fine, but I'm tired of reminders. Show a smile so they don't ask why my heart feels heavy tonight everything feels like it's falling apart at the seams you were the best part of me why did you leave oh oh about breakup songs you wrote perfect vision with trevor crail he's from seattle he's from michigan but yeah we lived in seattle together for three and a half years right out of college it's been a hard few years on our relationship and as i'm sure a lot of listeners understand you understand that you grow a lot especially during college and just out of college and getting into the real world and 
we're both so grateful that we could grow together, but there comes a point sometimes where you do have to realize like, is this working? Why isn't it? And so we wrote Perfect Vision this past October. We were dealing with stuff and trying to hold our relationship up as much as we could because we truly love each other. And and so it was kind of a cathartic thing to just sit down and write together kind of about because we, we broke up for a short amount of time and, and then realized like, wow, like so much for my perfect vision. Like I wanted us to have that perfect vision. And so that song, we wrote it in one sitting and we're in this like cool little cabin up in Seattle and it just like, it had this cool feel. It was kind of like rainy outside and he started playing some cool melody on the guitar and I started humming along and there we go. We have this great start and then the lyrics just came right out and I haven't released it yet, but the two of us are working on recording it still, which is, I think, a true testament to our friendship, if anything else, to be able to work on a song that is now like even more relatable for both of us than ever. I'm excited to put it out there. It's it's a vulnerable song. It's You think that you have this idea of what your life will look like and who that will be with. And things happen and people make mistakes and people change and that can completely change your vision and your future um, that you thought you had. And I think that's one of the hardest things to overcome when you break up with someone is, what does your life look like now? Like everything I was envisioning in the future is no longer what my future will look like. So that's kind of the inspiration behind that song. Wow, it's fascinating that you know two people that were together for so long can um, actually be friends and so soon after and work on their breakup song together. Yeah, I know we're trying. It's it's hard though. It's not easy. So I can imagine. Yeah, there's really no such thing as perfect hearing or perfect vision. You know, I yeah they have this thing of twenty twenty vision, but. You, then you meet someone who's 2015 or 2010, which is better than perfect, which is like, how, <laughs> how could you be that? They're lucky. But there really isn't perfect vision. Life isn't perfect. You know, we, we're all imperfect. And so. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I like the double entendre. Thanks. I mean, I think going on that realm of like life isn't perfect, it's not. But I think. One thing that I've learned about myself and just life in general, and it's a little bit dark, but I think we create expectations in our mind that we really want to achieve so badly. And like that is our ideal vision of perfect. And I think that when we have unrealistic expectations, you're going to be disappointed. And that's one thing I'm learning right now. It's like you can't have unrealistic expectations. (laughs) It's just life is not perfect. And as much as you want it to be. And as much as that vision in your mind is perfect to you, it's not always going to be. That's so true. And the hardest part of that, I think, is that we should all have a vision, a dream, a view of what the future can be, should be, how it could be better. And that you know, vision that we hold can be perfect at moments. And yet, you know, you're never going to perfectly get exactly to what you dreamed. It's going to be something different no matter what. It's like life doesn't work out as planned. God laughs at people who make plans, you know? Yeah, totally. I could not agree more. (laughs) So this is not out yet. And when do we anticipate this coming out? Honestly, no idea, but hopefully soon. Okay. Yeah, we're we're working on drums and, and guitar parts right now, just redoing a few things. So 
I would hope in the next few months. That's the goal. Shaking hands and cold feet I've tried everything And your silence still screams It's so loud that it hurts And I forget how to breathe Love release me Why can't I So your third most popular song on Spotify is Love Release Me, which um, I have to tell you, in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, this song resonated with me in a different way than you probably intended it to. I don't know if you know, you've even given that a moment's thought, but we're doing this interview the week after George Floyd was uh, suffocated by a policeman. And uh, the lyrics just kind of talk to me in that way about this episode. Well, that's super interesting. I haven't thought of it that way, but that's the beauty of music, right? It's being able to listen to lyrics and completely relate it to whatever is going on in your life right in that moment. But tell me what was going in your head, in your moment, because it's not me and my interpretation of your music. <laughs> That's what a backstory <laughs> song is about. So I didn't mean to you know, start us off on the wrong foot on Love Release Me, because what is this about? 
the overall theme of this song is feeling in love and loving someone so much, but knowing that maybe they're not right for you or something's wrong, but you can't let go of it. And I personally, like I was in a relationship for seven and a half years from freshman year of college until just recently. And that for me, it was really, really hard because I was so in love with him. But there were things that I was struggling with internally. I didn't know if he loved me as much as like I loved him. And like the things that go through your mind, you're like, it just suffocates you. Like you feel like you want to just not love him anymore or love them anymore. And just love like and I have love comma release me because it's kind of like double meaning like love release me and love you the person that I'm in love with please release me like you have to let me go and yeah it's a it's a sad song and I'm relating to it again right now but I wrote it in a time where we were going through a big down in our relationship which every relationship has highs and lows and and this was just a really hard one for me I wanted to feel the love that I had for him, but I wasn't feeling that. And so I, I was like begging him to just let me go. Yeah. That, that's kind of the backstory behind kind of how that transformed. And I actually forgot I even wrote it until figuring out songs for the second EP. That was just interesting bringing it back up. And there was still like, we were in the midst of another low. And so it was, it's been a few years of just like up and down for me personally in my relationship. And so I think that reflects in that song specifically. Uh, so yeah, it's a hard one to sing sometimes. I, I, uh, yeah, just like any songwriter, I think you kind of have these emotions tied to everything you write. And that one's an emotional one for sure. And it's not easy, but that is life. And I think it is relatable in the sense that when you love someone so much, but you don't know if they're right, for you or if something's missing, but you don't know how to say goodbye. And it's a lot. You want them to be the one to do the hard work to let you go because I'm not strong enough to. That's kind of the the underlying thing there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the song is better when you pour that emotion into the recording. Tell me about that. I mean, do you, did you cry? Like, do you? Yeah, um, actually, I didn't cry when I was singing it in the studio, but then when they played it back... Actually, it was the next day. We had the Nashville Symphony, three phenomenal musicians from the Nashville Symphony come in and play some strings on the song. And it was then in that moment, I was sitting in the vocal booth listening to them. I like sat down and I was just listening. And that's when tears started to fall. I was like, wow, like this, something about strings, man, like that is just, it's a powerful, like it literally is like your heart strings. Like somehow there's that connection there. That's when I really, I was like, wow, okay, like this is powerful. Yeah, the outro is violin. This is not fiddle. This is decidedly not Nashville fiddle players. This is decidedly a string arrangement for the outro. Yes. And Maria Conti, she arranged it and did just a beautiful job. I'm really grateful for, for the composition that she put together. 
So I guess we don't get to see that, or do you have that like on a foot pedal that we get to play when you play it live? No, unfortunately I should. That's a good idea. (laughs) So on the EP, I did an acoustic version of it as well. Just me and my guitar. And it was recorded after I recorded the other songs. And I just kind of, I went in and I think I did three takes. And it was just, I played the guitar and sang at the same time. And it was raw, it was emotional. And you're like, all right, this is it. Cool. (laughs) And yeah, I think... That one's definitely, it's very stripped down, obviously, but that's kind of what it's like when I perform places. If it's just me and my guitar, like, I like to bring in the emotion because that's, that's what music does for me. It's, it's emotional. It's the second stanza that actually just struck me in this moment of us trying to deal with injustice in, in America. And uh, it says, I've tried everything and your silence still screams, which I love. I've tried everything and your silence still screams. It's so loud that it hurts and I forgot how to breathe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot I even, like, you saying those lyrics now, it's like, wow, that is super prevalent to what's going on right now. It is completely, you know, what is going, it's describing what everybody is trying to deal with in that video. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, oh, actually, you know, almost makes me cry. Well, I'm flattered, but I also I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's a hard time right now, and it's really sad. And um, I, to your point, silence like that is your silence right now, especially is killing people. Like that is what what we're trying to change right now. And in regards to when I wrote it, it was more not knowing where they're at. Like your silence, like it truly like left a mark on me personally, just in my heart. Like not being able to like fully understand like what do you feel? Don't leave me hanging. Like I, I need to need to hang on to something. I think songs that touch an emotional chord like this are necessary for us to um, recover. I like crying to a great song. And I think if you make the audience cry, you've done a fantastic job. Well, I've definitely made some people cry. That's for sure. <laughs> Most of my music is just sad. I don't know. I, <laughs> I I hope you can see I'm not a sad person, but I think maybe it's because I'm able to get my sad feelings out in music. I'm the same way. If I'm feeling sad, I'm going to listen to sad music. And that's what I'm relating to. And that's what gets me through hard times is feeling sad and being okay with sitting in that emotion and feeling like someone else understands what I'm going through and relates to me and is, is sharing their story that is also parallel to mine. Now, I hope my music can do that for some people. Yeah, I think it could be cathartic. You know, there's a lot of sad songs, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called Blue, which you wrote. And I thought, this is an advertisement for Prozac. <laughs>
gets heavier as I get older. Today I just feel It's a song about a beautiful day, and yet you just feel miserable. Yeah, and I think everyone goes through this at some point in their life. And I have, I've never been diagnosed with depression or anything like that, but there are days where it's just hard to be a human, um, and it hurts. And even if it's a beautiful day, even if there are amazing things going on in your life, like it still is hard, and it's sad, and for me, like I was just having a bad day, bad, actually a bad few days. I was just so sad and I couldn't explain why. It wasn't that my whole life was falling apart per se, but I mean, kind of, but at the same time, it was like, I have a great life. I'm so privileged and lucky. And it's that kind of feeling like, gosh, today I just feel blue. And, and I hope that people that love me understand that this isn't going to be forever, but love me through the bad times too, because I'm trying to hope for a better tomorrow. Yeah, this line, everything happy is coated with something sad. Yeah. I think we've all had those days where it's like, no matter what, you can't see the happiness in life. It is when you need to take the Prozac, I think. I, I haven't yet, but who knows? I might need that <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> so was there a moment when you wrote this? Do you remember the day? Actually, yes, I do. My parents were out of town somewhere and I was watching their dogs for them and it was a beautiful day outside. Absolutely beautiful. It was in the summertime. It was almost year ago. So I think it was about July or August of last year. Maybe it was June. I don't even know. The days and months just string together now. But I just remember I was in such a funk and I hated it because I wanted to be productive that day. I wanted to do all this stuff and wanted to be happy, don't we all? And I needed to sit down and write it because that's there was nothing else to do to get me out of my mood. And even then, like, sure, I wrote a cool song that I loved, but I was still, and I didn't even fully finish it. I guess that was another thing. I was like, gosh, like I didn't even finish the freaking song. <laughs> but yeah, it was a beautiful day out. And I just remember feeling really sad and I didn't have an explanation why. And, and then it just, it all spilled out and that's what came up from it. <laughs> I do think your chorus has an element of hope in it. Yeah. Which is nice to not be like so down in the dumps. That totally. And and I think it's hard sometimes, like if you're really sad, you don't even want to add anything happy into it. But that's the thing with being depressed or sad for no reason, honestly, like that's usually how it goes. Or there's like a reason, but you can't even remember why you're just sad. And I've always tried to tell myself like tomorrow's a new day and hopefully it'll be better. Sometimes it's not going to be, but all we can do is is try and hope for a better tomorrow and wake up on the right side of the bed. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's important, especially for someone who's listening who is really blue and sad and giving them a little bit of hope that tomorrow will bring you something new. That today it's okay to feel blue and, and people still love you. That's kind of that's kind of the message I wanted to send. 
So Blue's not on your two EPs, is it? Nope. It's definitely a newer song. So I want to put it out this year, though. Okay. So we'll hear that one on a Spotify playlist coming near you, which will be on our website at Backstory Song. Abby Brown with her two EPs, Gypsy Soul, Heart on Fire. I have to thank you so much for coming to Backstory Song to share your backstory, vision, inspiration, and creative processes. Is there anything you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you, Doug. This has been um, really great. And I hope that people learned something or maybe related to something in their songwriting process or just in their music listening skills and understanding kind of the backstory behind some of my stuff. And I'd love to answer any questions for anyone who has any. Uh, My Instagram and stuff is going to be on the page, but it's Abby Brown Officials where you can find me on all social and my website. So I just can't thank you enough, Doug. Well, and we can't wait to see you on tour when the world starts touring again after this coronavirus quarantine. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm grateful for the support of our sound engineer, Wyatt Schmidt, and our marketing manager, Cameron Grace. And so thank you for listening to Backstory Song.